Hello, welcome back to Redacted. My name is Redacted. Filling in as host for Redacted. Also joined by Redacted, Redacted, and Tyler. Gentlemen, as you are aware, we have a FOIA request on Tyler this evening. Agent B. If you would please ask the first question. You, Brandon. <laughs> Hi, Tyler. How are you? Uh, I mean, I would tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. So we'll just go with redacted. <laughs> Tyler, have you ever played a video game? Uh, well, yes. Sources say that I have, in fact, played a game or two in my day, uh, and in fact. Enough that I could even, you know, order them maybe into uh, some kind of o- list. Order, order them. How would you? Yeah. How? How? <laughs> would you? Would you pull out a menu and ask the waiter for one? Game boy. Um, well, I mean, <laughs> if, they were, if they were really looking for a delicacy, I could at least, uh, you know, make make some recommendations myself as to what games to pick. So, if 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 I were at your gaming restaurant. What would be maybe I don't know the top ten uh, recommendations on your menu? I'm just gonna go with the lasagna. And what do you do with the other three letters after <laughs> you spell out Witcher? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, yeah, Witcher and uh, Witcher and uh, yep, yep, that's basically the only dish that we serve here. So. Um... Yep. You can't put a game that hasn't come out yet on your top ten. <laughs> oh man, I'd There's be tempted. Three to. Games. <laughs> In terms of sheer hype, uh, yeah, Cyberpunk is probably number <laughs> one on my list of all-time list of games. But um, how how else is he going to fit Witcher Go? <laughs> <laughs> I did see that. Yeah, yeah, that was. Um, yeah, I was glad somebody passed that along. I'm not sure. Not sure if uh, I mean I'll probably check it out to be honest, but uh, I have a feeling it's not gonna surpass anything on this list, or probably even make it to sixty-two that I've got <laughs> sort of organized here in my list of favorite games. But um, but yeah, so so you you have to start with ten, and we have to make this a thing. Well, I was gonna say if we're gonna do this really officially, you know, I should probably go over a little bit about like the criteria that I use to select these games. Oh, so, oh yeah. So you know, people yeah, can absolutely. really pick, uh, pick my brain and uh, you know see where I'm coming from. With yeah. This. Uh, so what? Uh, savory, uh, sweet, spicy, salty. Oh, spicy. <laughs> and then what about sour? Because you got you know sometimes sour is pretty good. Well, I don't know if we were if they were ordered in terms of saltiness. I'm pretty sure Smite would be up right there at the top. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least at least I'm salty. Uh, but nah, I mean okay, really. So what what are your criteria, Mister Gaming Connoisseur? So you know, honestly, I struggled a lot uh, with coming up with the criteria for a list like this um, because at the end of the day. I mean, I feel like it's almost impossible to remove all of the, you know, the subjective thoughts and emotions, like the subjectiveness of a list like this. Like a lot of times, you know, people can come up with lists that 
nobody really claims is objective, um, but it still is very much like you see a lot of the kind of like usual suspects, I guess, of like classic games. And that's not to say that my list isn't going to be like that as well, but eventually I just kind of gave up on the idea of trying to remove nostalgia and, you know, kind of like those those rose-tinted glasses. And in order for this to truly be called my top 10 games, um, I just kind of threw it out there, just went with, with what, for me personally, are some of the most impactful games. Um, so do I you know believe what? that these... We're really glad... We're glad that you have the list of top ten, but I really like Brandon's restaurant analogy. So we're gonna throw away your top ten, and we're gonna start with the appetizer game. <laughs> What's a game you would play to warm up for these other games on your list? Uh, oh man, uh, appetizer game. Um, I mean. You know what? Screw it. Fall Guys right now. That's that's an appetizer game. You got to be hungry for victory <laughs> in that game. And, you know, I still haven't won. So I want that crown, man. I'm hungry. So get you right in the mood. Excellent. Now that all of our mouths are watering and we've we've had a taste, this is Tyler's Top 10. Number 10. I almost thought you were going with Mario there for a second, uh, but but no. I did too. Uh, Copyright issues. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but not Mario, but in fact, Star Fox. Uh, so Star Fox 64 uh, is starting off the list here at number 10. Um, so I kind of... Uh, like I said, with the criteria for this, I tried to come up with like one thing, like one reason that each of these games makes the list. Um, and, you know, for um, for Star Fox, what that ended up being, like the one thing that really kept putting it back on the list is just it's just the fun factor, the approachability. Like I just I remember as a kid picking up that game and there hasn't hardly been an experience like Star Fox 64 in all the years since I first played that on the Nintendo 64, where I just kind of felt that sense of like wonder and fun. And like, it was the first three D 3d game that I'd ever played. And I remember it was actually like my brother rented it for the Nintendo 64. I never played anything like this. Like I'd grown up playing the NES, the super Nintendo, I fire up Star Fox 64 and I was just blown away. I was like, whoa, I'm like flying this ship around and in three dimensions, like on rails, like shooting down bad guys. Like it had kind of a colorful, fun cast of characters, very much just like being in this like action movie as a kid. And um, yeah, it had a pretty big impact on me. I was like, this is this is fantastic. Like got into the multiplayer right away, learned how to beat my brother with uh, the loop de loops. I'm pretty proud of that, even at a young and impressionable age and um so yeah uh star fox 64 comes in at number 10 you make the loop de loop and pull oh wow and your shoes are looking and cool do a barrel but, but were you, <laughs> so were you able to save falco or did you always lose him because i always lost him uh i i guarantee the first like when i was a kid playing the game i lost him probably like most of the time but i do remember 
and that's the other thing about that game that just blew me away is like I remember the very first time that I managed to save him and it basically you know I unlocked a whole other mission pathway and as a kid that just like blew my mind it was like what you mean all these other planets that are on the overworld map or somewhere I can actually go because apparently I was also an idiot but I was just like <laughs> so like once I learned that it like doubled the size of the game and like I could actually accomplish missions instead of just completing them I was like oh yeah I'm all over this so so yeah um fun approachable and high replay factor all kind of contribute to that. okay so the rest of us are going to take a poll. Uh, you didn't know this was going to happen, did you? We're rating your list. Um, <laughs> oh, no, they're off, critiquing the critic. How many of us have played this game? I have not. I have. Negative. It was pretty standard sleepover fare back in the day. Yep. I have not either. Brandon, I think by majority vote, we have voted Tyler's top 10 off of his top 10. <laughs> i mean i i would say so i mean i usually when i played it we played the multiplayer more than the campaign version um but it was it was a fun game and i have fond memories attached to it so it's it's worthy of a 10 yes evan okay. you need to accurately judge tyler's nostalgia damn it <laughs> <laughs> well see and that's the thing too my rating is very colored by nostalgia because i didn't have an n64 so the only time i played it was with other people so mm-hmm. that changes my opinion of the game yeah and i will say like of of all of these it is kind of interesting while this is a, a game that i would objectively rate pretty high it is probably one of the ones that's i would say most influenced by nostalgia like i said there's nothing that's ever really going to replace that first experience playing a 3d game um like the first n64 game i ever played and so that is just i'm sure a big part of why it's so memorable to me number nine so clocking in at number nine is a game that for a lot of people they would probably put even higher on this list um but i had the legend of zelda ocarina of time uh clocking in at number nine so um, which which platform uh n64 on that one as well (laughs) okay so so not the 3ds we're taking that we're throwing that one out the window well I mean, just in terms of no, uh, can't make both. what it originally released on, I guess. No, and it's so just which one's the better. To, you can throw the uh, 3DS out the window. There's 10 versions of it. <laughs> <laughs> I would actually have to say that they made some some notable improvements in subsequent versions. So from a purely technical standpoint, sure. Uh, actually, you know what? The 3D adds quite a bit. I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, the 3DS version for me is the best version of it that I've played, even over the, the remastered version that they did for the GameCube. Uh, 3DS is the best one I've played. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that... There you go. You've you've already unseated one of my games for me here. Um, <laughs> like the reason that this one makes the list is honestly the music. I would say out of all of the selections that I've made on this list, there is nothing quite like hearing one of those original songs um, from <laughs> Ocarina of Time. Like exactly. Like I mean, they're simplistic. But, but better. <laughs> It, wow. 
Yeah, like it's nothing that is this amazing like concert performance, but it doesn't need to be because you think like, at least for me, it's like I hear like a bar from one of those songs and I immediately know what it is I'm hearing, like what game it was from. And it just conjures up all of these like like the Lawn Lawn Ranch theme, like I hear that or like Malin's song <laughs> or whatever from that game. And I just... I, like I just get hit with a wall of feels like there's no other way around it. Like that music just conjures the images and emotions that I experienced playing that game for the first time. So, yep. Isn't the lawn lawn field one, the really slow, like melodic one. Well, I, yeah, or is that the ranch? that's the ranch one. Yeah. The ranch is the one that I was, I was speaking about. And then of course you got like Epona's song in there as well. Oh, I'm thinking those. maybe I'm thinking of Epona. Yeah. God, it's been a while since I played that one. Yeah. I'll, I'll spare people from from my rendition of attempting to sing it, but yeah, I just Yeah. Yeah, that one is <laughs> Even Brandon singing it right now. I can feel it. <laughs> so maybe I can feel the Brandon love tonight. Singing, we can we can edit in the actual music over that. <laughs> Right. We, we should absolutely do that. <laughs> or someone's cover of the actual music. Why? <laughs> What's wrong with my version? It's a little pitchy. <laughs> That's a different... Well, you know who this is a little pitchy? <laughs> That's a different episode, Brandon, where we play oh, oh. America's Got Talent or, or whatever the current generation of singing show is. America's Got Idol Talent X. The voice. <laughs> With fear. Yeah. All of that. Number nine. That's that's it. <laughs> number eight. All right. Uh, so number Wait, eight. Did... Oh, yeah. We're number eight. <laughs> did, did, did he actually talk about Zelda or did we go we talked about some music. Uh, okay. He says it's got. It's. He said it was number nine because of the music. Yeah, like when it comes to the one factor for why each of these games kind of earned its, like how it earned its spot. That was that was kind of what I remember most about the the Ocarina of Time experience. All the Zelda games are fantastic. Spoiler alert: we may see more to come. If uh, we are keeping tally, um, that's another game that I have not played. Check. Okay. Tyler, continue. <laughs> so at <laughs> number eight, we have total. No, wait, War. hold on. Wait. Oh, you're okay. I thought you. I thought you were still going to talk more about. We're really. This it's, is you know, going it's almost like great. We, it's like we have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> okay, so that's all you're going to say about Ocarina of Time. I mean, I could. I could speak more about it. I again, I wasn't sure if we would want me to. Whatever you want to say, man. This is your list. Yeah, your elaborate episode. for yeah. that. Yeah. Like, I mean, I could it probably, I could probably do a whole episode on Ocarina of Time on its own, honestly. But um... do you really want to use your episode <laughs> on Ocarina of Time? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, okay, so who has played Ocarina of Time? I have any version. I have, I have the N sixty four and uh, Nick. I have not played it. Okay, so I have also played it. I have not beaten it, but I have played it. Um, I enjoyed it to some degree. Uh, I would say personally, like I don't. It would not be on my top ten if I can think of ten games 
that I actually enjoyed. Like, I'm pretty sure I could find it at 10 games that I've enjoyed. And I don't think that this game would be on top 10 for me. Um, because I do, I do remember enjoying the game and the mechanics and all of that, but I didn't really like the non-direction factor. I felt like there was a certain amount of traveling from place to place, not knowing where I was supposed to go next. And that I would just have to look it up online. Like, where do I go now? How do I do this? And a lot of the answers would be like, oh, you stupid idiot. There's a little hidden cave behind this tree. You have to go that way and then take a left instead of a right and then take another left. And then you have to open up this tunnel. And I just, I wasn't, it, it, it just was not quite linear enough. There wasn't quite enough suggestion for me to know where to go next to really get immersed into it fully. Mm. Yeah, and, and that's interesting. And that's where, you know, the subjective element of really, I mean, anybody's top 10 list kind of comes in. Like one thing, anybody who knows me and like watches the kind of games that I enjoy play, uh, playing, like I really kind of live for those like aha moments, you know, moments where, you know, it's you're left to your own devices, you're exploring, you're taking a look at all of the mechanics that a game has given and you kind of given you and you like you solve a puzzle or you find some little hidden gem within the world like carve out your own piece of this world that someone else has created and like discover something new for yourself hey tyler yeah um i think in ocarina of time they're called rupees not gems (laughs) (laughs) don't make me throw a pot at you brandon (laughs) (laughs) I didn't get the bigger on sword for nothing. (laughs) Can we actually do number eight finally, please? Number eight is Total War Warhammer 2. Um, Okay, none of us know what that is. Moving on. I know what that is. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, this game is... This is a game that is probably not a game that would be on a lot of gamers' top ten lists. I mean, for one thing, it's very recent. Um, And for another thing, like just kind of RTS uh, strategy games in general are a genre that a lot of people like enjoy, but they wouldn't necessarily throw a game like this on their list. But for me, what puts Total War Warhammer uh, for PC, um, and I believe exclusively, um, for me, what puts Total War Warhammer 2 on this list is its ambition. Um, and that's kind of interesting to look at in a video game, but it's the fact that I have never seen a more ambitious video game project than bringing the entire tabletop universe of uh, Warhammer, of specifically fantasy, Warhammer fantasy, seeing somebody bring that as a game in its entirety um, to digital form. Like... And it's, it's just such a perfect merger between Total War, uh, Creative Assembly does all of the Total War games, and partnering up with Games Workshop and just bringing all of these like miniatures to life in digital form. And like it's just such a good fit. And the fact that they are 
building up and it's kind of just like this big toy box where they keep adding new things here and there for each army um, from the games workshop line. And like, it's taking more than one game. Like, it's not like, Oh, here's total war, war hammer one. Here's total war, war hammer two. Like that's a successor. Here's total war, war hammer three. Like it was planned from the beginning to be a trilogy that they build out over the course of like literally over a decade to like basically bring this entire universe to life. And like, and you can just see how far it's come and how much it's grown with continual updates um, since the beginning with total war Warhammer one. And like now, like I said, it's just like, I have this giant toy box of like all these armies to play with. And, you know, it's, it's got some of the most, I won't say realistic because it's obviously completely over the top in total Warhammer in, in Warhammer fashion. It's completely over the top and ridiculous. You've got dinosaurs riding on dinosaurs fighting like giant mutant chaos beasts and elves and dwarves. And it's just such a rich fantasy world. Like it's totally introduced me to an entirely new hobby, which is kind of, you know, what Games Workshop all about with the warhammer universe um and you know a few years ago i'd never even heard of warhammer i was like oh that's that like space marines thing right like i don't know those guys look like their big armor looks kind of dumb and clunky and then i played total war warhammer one and two and now it's one of my favorite fantasy universes of all time like it's just it's amazing so that ambition and the ability to follow through on it makes this an easy number eight pick for me Nick, do you agree? Yeah, that's a really good pick for number eight. That's it's a hilarious universe. Uh, Warhammer 40k tends to be more popular of the two, but I think Total Warhammer 2 is a really great introduction to that entire universe and is probably successful enough as to why we're getting more from that universe in other games coming up. Yeah, like it's kind of like you're saying like that, like it's worth putting it in perspective that in a way total war Warhammer has, has brought something that like, so they'd actually done away with the fantasy universe, like games workshop had actually had a whole end times event where they end completely ended their line of tabletop miniatures, um, writing the novels, all of the stuff that kind of tied in and built up this universe. They basically brought that to a halt to begin the age of Sigmar um, and to kind of focus on other, like, focus more on, presumably, like, the 40K side of things. Um, but this, like, literally the popularity, I feel like, of this video game has driven them to go back and they are actually reintroducing the old world, as it's called, like, basically the old fantasy world. Like, they're doing a whole new line of miniatures, new army books, everything for it. So it's literally brought it kind of, back almost by popular demand which i think is really cool to see a video game kind of do that fantastic (laughs) (laughs) all right does that mean we are ready for number seven number seven 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 clocking in at seven i have is it seven ups no, 7-Up, you know, I'll be honest, 7-Up wouldn't even make my top 10 list of anything, except maybe like <laughs> maybe like battery 
cleaner or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> Just the only not time a big Seven Up fan. The only time Seven Up is good is when you're sick, and that's it. Ah, but see, that's what Sprite's for, man, or Squirt. <laughs> <laughs> What is this, a very Potter musical? You drink squirt? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then again, uh, Pib Extra is one of my favorite uh, pops as well, so that probably disqualifies me on pop lists right off the bat. Uh, oh, oh no, Pib, Pib is great, and anytime I go out of state, I always look around for some and bring it back. <laughs> nice. There you go, fellow Tyler, you've connoisseur. Also just, you've also just... Um demonstrated to our listening base where we are regionally located with using pop instead of soda. Uh, yeah, that's true. Ope. <laughs> oh, no. Ope. Ope, I got my pop squeeze over past here. There. <laughs> squeeze um, past you with my pop. Number seven. <laughs> number seven is Dark Souls 3. Um, and I put this one on the list for its atmosphere slash you could almost interpret that as level design um but uh yeah for i mean the dark souls series uh i mean most people listening to a podcast about video games are probably at least tangentially aware of or have heard of this series as well um another relatively recent series um but yeah for me it's really hard to pick between Dark Souls 1 and Dark Souls 3, which one is is better? Like, there's no, again, there's no replacing that initial experience of Dark Souls 1 and getting to see the, the interest, uh, like, basically the interconnectedness of this overworld that they created. Like, I, I love, for me, kind of, like, action RPGs um, are, it's one, it's basically, it is my favorite game genre, so games that focus on letting you kind of build up a character, you know, allocating stats, changing the way they look through equipping different gear, just fighting crazy monsters. Dark Souls has all of that, and it has just such an amazing attention to detail, atmosphere, um, and creating a world that you really want to explore and kind of tease out these little bits of lore from these kind of dark and interesting twisted like gothic um figures and you know even just down to the way that the characters are oftentimes voiced in the game where they have this just crazy attention to like like binaural audio that really just kind of like you know almost tickles at the back of your mind like just kind of really it's just fascinating for me to listen to and get absorbed into and i love the game world so yep dark souls 3 is in my opinion, anyway, the, the culmination of all of FromSoft's efforts and the best of the three games. I'm starting to think that I'm never going to play any of the games that are on your list. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jared, you could fix that. <laughs> from from what I've been told by people who've played it, Dark Souls 3 has a lot of time involved, and I have commitment issues, so I don't know if I'll ever play it. Uh, yeah. It's a long game. Yeah, well, and what's really interesting about them is they're they're so much longer the first time you play them um, because of the difficulty and just the fact that, like, it's kind of like Brandon was saying, like, I know for a fact this is a game that Brandon, like, just from what you've described, you will hate um, because it's the exact mm-hmm. opposite of a linear experience. Like, it is very much, we're going to throw you into this this 
like you start off in this sewer and it's literally like figure it out on your own like there's hardly any tutorial it's like here's the very basics of the controls and you know nothing else so it's like up to you to figure what is this game about like what's the story uh what do even these items do like how do i even like like it's it's one of those games where it starts you off with a boss fight pretty much right out of the gate that is designed to kill you unless you just run away off to the left side of the screen and go into this door that opened up. Like that's the kind of thing, like it's, it's purposefully designed as a challenge for you as the player to overcome and kind of figure out. It's like a, just a giant puzzle. And uh, I mean, I love it. Like there's nothing like that thrill and satisfaction of winning a difficult boss fight or figuring out where you're supposed to go or finding a hidden item or spell that you could have easily missed. Like I, I love that. So easy so, number. Tyler, seven. why dark souls three over bloodborne? Um, so for me, a part of it is the setting. I, as much as I do like, um, kind of the almost Victorian Renaissance-ish feel of Bloodborne. I like the variety, I guess, of classes and play styles that you get with kind of the medieval fantasy settings of the Dark Souls games. Like, they're a little bit more um, disjointed in that sense. Like, you know, you visit diff like there's just a little more variety to the biomes and the levels that you explore. It does, does, I mean, it, it, like I said, it basically is kind of Victorian versus medieval. Um, but that was a big thing. Um, the weapon, the amount of weapon variety in dark souls versus bloodborne. I like, even though the trick weapons were really cool in bloodborne, I liked again, getting back to how I like designing like my character, quote unquote, like I love, being like, okay, this character is going to wear this armor, and these are all of the types of weapons that this kind of character might, you know, wield in this fantasy world. And so it's like, I just like that variety and the different kinds of builds that you can make. Like, you can have a pyromancer, or like, I, I made one guy who just is like the Pope in Dark Souls 3. Like, he fights with a candlestick and wears, like, the Deacons of the Deep robes and chucks lightning bolts everywhere. So I just love that I can have a character where that's their shtick. Um, and so stuff like that elevates it, I guess. I think I'm the only one that's played it that uh, <laughs> yep. everyone else, so... <laughs> yep, I have not. I mean, for me, it'd be, it'd just, it would be pretty hard to argue that Dark Souls hasn't, at the very least, like... There's, there's like in the industry as a whole, there's such a marked note, like a marked point where game design as a whole changed after the release of Dark Souls. Like we see, like it invented basically an entire genre, which you could argue is really just a 3D version of like Castlevania, which is also one of my favorite game series. Like I love, again, that exploring castle, fighting all kinds of crazy monsters and collecting weapons and stuff. And it's, so it's kind of like a 3D version of that, which is fantastic. But to me, there's still no arguing that it has basically created a whole subgenre of video games on its own. Um, and that is very true. Dark Souls 3 is almost entirely one castle. Well, yeah. I mean, more so than definitely like Dark Souls 
2, um, which, you know, was some people didn't like the level design as much. I Again, I kind of liked the variety. It took you around to completely different biomes and multiple castles and things. But, yeah, I mean, you, you, I mean you're right. Like, that's, that's kind of the draw, I feel, of the Dark Souls games is that it's like just digging deeper and deeper into this one location, which I always kind of like that, that take on level design. I guess we are on six now. Number six. Number six. I have Divinity Original Sin 2. Um, and this one makes my list for its wacky creativity, man. Like, I just... I have not played a game that has as much kind of just heart and sense for just like coming up with wacky obtuse solutions to problems. Like I just, I've never played another game quite like divinity. Um, I'll be honest. I kind of bounced off the original divinity, uh, original sin. Uh, it, I, it was good. Um, great rpg but it didn't have at least for me quite the polish and storytelling and even for me there comes a point where i like a little bit of a little bit more direction in my games um, maybe it's just a case where i needed to get a little bit older or uh, something but i definitely felt like divinity original sin 2 was more tightly designed had slightly more linear hub areas um, that were easier to like wrap my mind around and know, okay, this is where I should be going and what I should be doing at any given point in time. But it still had so much free form openness to it that it allowed for really creative solutions to both combat and environmental puzzles um, in a way that no other RPG really does. Like, don't get me wrong, I love Pillars of Eternity 2. I love a lot of other traditional rpgs there's some <clears throat> spoiler alert that will be on this list as well but in terms of recreating that um pen and paper tabletop rpg experience i still haven't played any game that does it better than larian's divinity original sin 2 and that's also why i'm super excited that they're doing Baldur's gate 3 um and as someone who never played the original Baldur's Gate games, I don't have any of the misgivings or qualms about them using the Baldur's Gate name. I'm just like, holy crap, it's another Larian RPG. I love the way they basically use their game systems. They've got a really cool rule set using the, the Dungeons & Dragons 5e rules. Like, could not be more thrilled. Excited for that one. I think this is another one where I'm the only one that's played it <laughs> yep. Yes. Correct. This list is gonna go really fast if none of us can <clears throat> say anything about your list. Yeah. Uh, except that it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the big differences is uh just the fact that I grew up playing more Nintendo consoles and PC, which is a little unique in that none of the rest of us except maybe Nick, it sounds like, have played games exclusive to PC as much. Um, but some of my, some of my heavy hitters here will be multi-console for sure. And actually Divinity Original Sin is, uh, now as, as well. It's available on Switch, PlayStation. Um, I'm not sure if it ever came out on Xbox or not. I think it did. Um, it probably yeah. did. It also has cross-save for the, at least the Switch. I'm pretty sure it has cross-save mm -hmm. for the other consoles as well and is frequently 
half off, if not consistently half off. Yeah. And, you know, another reason for Divinity Original Sin 2 being on this list is I've also never played an RPG that works better in multiplayer too. And that's pretty big. Like that's a really cool feature of this. Like a lot of RPGs are single player experiences. You know, you sit down, you get a great story, um, oftentimes at the expense of being able to play with your friends. Um, And that's just not the case here. Like it's so cool that from the ground up, it was designed to be able to play, be able to be played with four people. Um, and everybody can run off and do their own thing and be solving quests. And it's just so organic that someone might be like, uh, I'm the rogue. I can sneak my way out of this. What's the worst that could happen? And then they, like, out of the frying pan and into the fire, they teleport into another room. And they're now surrounded by bad guys. And they've got to be like, guys, guys, help. I'm going to die. <laughs> like, And that's just that's <laughs> so perfectly captures the pen and paper RPG experience for me. So such a great game. I kind of want to try that multiplayer, just given how the story works. The ending makes me curious how that works when playing with (laughs) friends. Yeah, the first time through the game, I played it with James, and we got to the very end. And I, of course, had my character who was like, he, he was romancing one of the other characters in the party, and James literally held that character hostage at the end of the game. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to kill our party member if you don't let me take, like, seize the ultimate power or whatever at the end. So he literally, like, oh, wow. it just, like, encouraged those inner party dynamics, which, again, it's just, it's fun perfect storytelling like all yeah i'll never forget that and then yep he ended up he ended up burning my poor sabeel and my character had to just be like screw you james and try and seize seize the power so that 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 kind of uh internal strife is a really interesting mechanic in the game we're halfway there (laughs) living on a prayer (laughs) mambo number five you best get to praying. What, what, like, top five, right? Yep. What is your criteria going forward that makes the top five the top five and not just the top ten? So, it, see, that's really interesting because there's, there is more of a point, I would say, when it gets to the top three, like the top three games are basically set in stone. Um, they're probably not going to change at all. These top five also probably won't, but I will admit there's a little more room that they could more easily be displaced. But it's still like going forward, these last few games are like, they're just so iconic or so memorable to me. Um, or so well made that I feel like they're really going to stand the test of time. Like these are games that I could come back to when I'm uh, like 80 years old and sit down and play it and probably still have a, a good time with it and just have a lot of really fond memories of um, with a, one of these may one of these has definitely aged worse than the others, but um, but yeah, these top five just uh, just classic games that a lot of people who love the same genres of games that I do, um, I think you'd find a lot of people who agree that these deserve their spot. Okay, number five. So at number five, 
I've got Left for Dead 1. Um, and my note for this, the reason why it gets on the list is for all the memories. Um, basically, Left 4 Dead 1 and the original Witcher were the first two games that I installed on the first gaming PC that I ever built. And I just have like countless memories of of LAN parties. Like I, I like built like James showed me how to build a computer. And I got the thing cobbled together, got Left 4 Dead running on it, and I would like bring it over like almost on a weekly basis. Like we would get through school and then on the weekends I would just haul my computer over to James's house. We would hook it up and we would play Left 4 Dead together. And like that's what I mean. It's like back in the day, like we would play stuff via LAN as opposed to like I I think it had online co-op, but like it was just easier for us to go over and like hook our computers up side by side and we would just play left for dead until like three in the morning like we would just sit there and like and like the characters were so like the banter that they had designed for this kind of co-op shooter game it was like the perfect love letter to kind of like that retro like 80s b-movie horror vibe like the different special infected zombies were in and of themselves like unique and kind of freaky. Like we were just at the perfect age where there's no replacing that, that spike of adrenaline that we would get when the, the tank, like this big burly, just oh, yeah. slab of meat and muscle. Like it would be start <laughs> playing this like crazy intro hey. song and you'd hear it roaring in the background and it would come in and it'd be like throwing like, rocks the size of cars at you and i just remember like we'd be running around squealing like firing our auto shotguns into <laughs> it like i mean and that's what i mean like it just like pure childhood delight of like fighting these hordes of zombies and it was just like you know it was just like living out a classic you know saturday popcorn fest of a flick like it was just oh man so yep for all the memories uh, and all the love and care that Valve put into that game uh, definitely deserves its number five spot for me. He's wrong. It's Left 4 Dead 2. <laughs> <laughs> I was and, say, Left 4 Dead 2 is the one I actually have played with you guys. Yeah, and Left 4 Dead 2 mechanically is probably better. Um, so I would I would say, you know, if this list were entirely objective, then yeah, two would be ahead of one. But again, it's it's this this game and like I said, Star Fox, probably some of the biggest just nostalgia picks. Um, but there's mm. just no beating. Like and those original characters, man, like Bill, Lewis, Zoe, and Francis. Like I'll never forget Francis screaming like a girl as he gets batted <laughs> off of the skyscraper by the tank. Like it's just so <laughs> perfect. Or like how James and I would rebind their like they they would swear with some of their like um like basically when a certain special infected would pop up, maybe they'd, they would just like scream an expletive. We bound that to keys on the keyboard. So we could just be like running around, mashing the key to make Francis be like, shit, shit, God damn it. Like, <laughs> so he'd just be like running around the level, like blasting zombies, swearing and like, oh, it's just perfect. Peak gaming right and there. That and the infamous grabbing pills. Yep. Grabbing pills. Uh, so yeah, those those classic characters, man. All right, 
Does that mean we're ready for <laughs> number four? Yes, yes we are. Number four. So at number four, I've got Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 1. Um, two, this is another one. Two is amazing mm. as well. Maybe arguably mechanically. But it was better. never finished. Uh, yeah, it had some production issues. And, and I'll be honest, as much as I loved it, there's just no beating that storytelling from Knights of the Old Republic 1. Like, in my mind, the reason that, that Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 1 is number four on my list is because it's one of the best uses of an existing universe uh, to tell, to expand upon that universe and tell an amazing and very personal story. Like, that's what makes video games so powerful is that you can get invested into a character and then to set that in a universe that I grew up loving and then to basically just expand my entire mind as to what that universe could be. Like the entire old Republic era, like just blew me away. Like I was like, this is, I was, you know, I loved the movies growing up, like Star Wars four, five and six. I'd like worn out, literally worn out the VHS tapes, like watching that when I was a kid and then to go and play this and, even as a kid and at the time playing it and be like, this is definitively the best thing of star Wars that I've ever seen and experienced. Like that was, and to be able to play it like that experience was, is almost unmatched to this day. Like the fact that it was, you know, I built my lightsaber and like learned like what the colors were and picked the one that felt the most in tune with my character at the time. And then it just, you know, I, there's really no such thing as spoiler alerts or spoiler warnings for a game that's like how many you're probably like 15 years old 20 years old now i don't know it's probably somewhere around that oh, but yeah that game can drive um but yeah it's <laughs> just spoiler alert you find out that like you you were the bad guy all along which but it's so much it's so much better than that like it's it's just so complex mm -hmm. and like really gets you to kind of think about like as a kid, like to think about like, you know, you grew up like the Jedi are good and the Sith are evil. And this was the first time that it was very much like, Oh shit. Like I've made some choices that definitely like, if you start to ask, what would I do in this situation? Like it was one of the first games that really introduced kind of moral gray areas and really got me to kind of think about morality and why I make the choices that I do in the world around me. And yes, it's still pretty ridiculous and binary. You can just, you know, force lightning at an orphanage if you want to, but like, but it was kind of the first star Wars material that really got me to think about like how, how incredibly tragic a fall to the dark side could be and how powerful the redemption arc could similarly be and like as as Revan as that character in that game like you just you go through that whole roller coaster of emotions and the characters are so well written like to this day you know I I remember some of Jolie Bindo's like you know pep talks and I remember some of the lines that Bastila shares with Revan and that just it's left such an impact on the way I view narrative and RPG design like it's just fantastic game so by the way, I just looked it up, and next year, Knights of the Old Republic will be able to vote. 
<laughs> well, and is that does even... this vote depend on what moral choices he made? <laughs> <laughs> Palpatine for president. <laughs> <laughs> the power. <laughs> But he knew about the Yuzan Vong, so he was right all along. He just did a lot of <laughs> shitty things. Um, but I, yeah, so actually I'm, I'm going to open this up now. Evan, I hope this is a game that you played at some point. I hope. Maybe. Oh, KOTOR? Yeah. Yeah, no, I yes, I've played it. Um, I I think the... I don't have as fond of an attachment to it. Like I, As much as I love Star Wars things, I'm in the the section of the fandom that's not super attached to Knights of the Old Republic. So when Disney wiped the cannon and uh, KOTOR got swept up with it, I was like, nah, okay, whatever. Uh, yeah. You can still play it. Yeah. So it's still there. Um, but I mean, I liked it for what it was. It's not my usual style of game, but I liked it. I think the my, my thing with it was like, I think at the time that I played it, it took really long for it to get going to like start dropping hints of like, you know, what would eventually be known um so that was a little bit annoying to me but i'm i'm sure like if i played it now i'd be like oh yeah no this pacing is perfect i was just impatient well and and that's i don't know you bring up a good point like again some of that i'm sure is the nostalgia because there's absolutely no denying like i also remember some of the god-awful sections where it's like oh you got to go wear an environment suit and like traipse around on the sea floor and like just click on things like so it's got some kind of clunky mechanics in the sense that it you know it's it's a it's a, a, a real-time RPG, or it's a, a turn-based RPG masquerading as a real-time RPG in a lot of ways. So it's definitely kind of like slower paced, and the combat looks a little janky. So no way of getting around that, for sure. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. pacing pacing is definitely a little bit slow. Number three. Number three. So uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. Um, <laughs> come back next week to hear if Witcher One or Witcher Two got bronze, um, <laughs> because we all know that what 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 uh, Tyler's number one game is, and we can all go home crying because Smite is not on his list, and that <laughs> just hurts so <laughs> deeply that. I do not the game you share with me on a regular basis is not on your list. It just it it hurts me deep. Brandon, uh, there's still hope because Witcher One has aged very poorly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So moving forward. So the top three, right? Mm-hmm. So like you have your your absolute favorite, and then you have two games that are like, well, those could be my favorite as well. You know, like you got a list of 10 and you're trying to pick your absolute favorite. You're going to have like a three-way tie, except you have you can't have a three-way tie. So you have to pick right. one. And so you've done that. Well, so instead of what sets these apart from the bottom five, you have to say what keeps the next two games out of being number one. They're not The Witcher 3. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but but what you have you you have to hit the qu- you have to hit the question or you have to you have to answer the question. What are these two ne- next two games lacking that keep them from being Witcher three? Okay, well, 
it's it kind of it works both ways because when i was going to decide what makes this game my number one like i was really trying to figure out like what is it that that just elevates this above all the others it kind of answered your question because what keeps these next two games from taking that number one spot is that despite how amazing they are for me there are still some definitive like and this is more so true for my number two game than my number three but there's some definitive um elements to them that aren't as polished or aren't as amazing as my number one game like my number one game is in the number one spot because of how just well-rounded it is like how much of a complete package it is whereas these other games it's like eh, if you're not a big fan of that type of combat you're probably not going to enjoy the game like there's just not much there for you to enjoy from the game if that makes any sense like they're just more specialized more streamlined more um i guess just less memorable as a whole experience so that's why they didn't make the number one spot okay let's hit it what's number three so number three is uh the second legend of zelda game to make this list uh and that is wind waker um in my mind legend of zelda wind waker is my favorite i wouldn't even say the best because a lot of people would argue for ocarina of time but wind waker for me is my favorite zelda game um because similar to ocarina of time some of the most fantastic and memorable music of any game certainly that i played from that time i remember how incredible it was that they had an orchestral score for individual actions within the game so like when you would swing your sword and hit an enemy there would be a swelling from the string sections and just like it was just this incredible use of yeah full orchestra and it yeah sound design was incredible at the time the graphical style um they went with that cell shaded um appearance which a lot of zelda fans did not like um and even as a kid i was kind of like oh like it looks kind of cartoonish and weird but it has aged so well because of that decision like it's something that you can scale up to a really high resolution and if you play the remastered version of wind waker it just it still looks phenomenal the the color contrast um the sharpness of all of the individual lines and textures like it is just i mean it's just it basically is like a living breathing kind of like watercolor painting and and then you couple that with the the great music and and really the reason i put it at number three um is because of its its heart and its sense of adventure like it was this story about a boy who really is kind of forced to grow up like his his little sister gets kidnapped by these pirates and it's obviously very like cartoonish and kind of you know it's it's very appropriate for all ages but it's still deals with so many of those like coming of age themes and just like powerful like narrative moments like being the hero and you know kind of the blossoming love story between link and zelda in the game and it just you know it just captures what it kind of felt like to grow up like you know it's that um 
it's just inspiring and and like it it kind of captures that sense of like why i play games in the first place and that's to go out and see these these new worlds and like in wind waker you sail around to all these different islands and and every uh, square every grid on the map represents a new and exciting place to go and discover something that you'd never seen before. And you never knew what you were going to get. If you were going to have to shoot ice arrows into a volcano to solve puzzles or, you know, just find some random <laughs> little fairy in a conch shell out in the middle of the ocean and upgrade your bombs. You know, it's just, I, it's, you never knew what you the were going to get. The magic conch. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, but wow, yeah, you just, just aged a, us. Just a beautiful game. <laughs> That's easily the third SpongeBob reference I've made in this episode. <laughs> Respect. All, Brandon's top ten all SpongeBob games. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't played a single one. <laughs> that would um, be my list. So yeah, uh, I'm okay. Of... But why is it not one or two? Because it's three, Brandon. Oh, that's how math works? <laughs> okay, moving on. Number two. Yeah. <laughs> so number two, uh, and this one will kind of highlight why this one I do like over even something as amazing and memorable as Wind Waker. Number two. two, two, two. Uh, Mass Effect 2, and specifically the second game, interestingly enough, in the trilogy, is far and away my favorite. Um, and I would argue even just the best from a technical design standpoint in a lot of ways. Maybe the gameplay is not quite as good as Mass Effect 3. Um, and maybe the world building and exploration isn't quite as good as it was in Mass Effect 1. But Mass Effect 2 has the, one of the best and most memorable casts of video game characters that I've ever seen. Like, you know that a series is special when, you know, probably close to a decade later now. Like, I'll be honest, my heart kind of still hurts at times for the way that they ended the trilogy. Like, it wasn't bad. Like, I didn't hate it as much as some fans did. Like, I'm guessing a lot of people who play video games, and specifically those who have played Mass Effect, like, they may have heard some of the controversy surrounding the way that they chose to end that trilogy. And I don't agree with all of the decisions that they made. Um, the biggest one being that, like, after all this time and energy that you put into being able to carry your save game over from Mass Effect 1 to 2 to 3 there's still really no good way to get a happy ending, honestly. Like, it very much tries to go for a bittersweet ending, almost to the point where it feels kind of forced, and, like, they were just like, well, we're not going to let you have your cake and eat it too just because. Um, it, and so that doesn't sit real well with me. But it's also testament to, like, just how great the character writing is and how like involving and epic the story was leading up to the end that you were so invested. Like I legitimately cared about these digital pixels in like this, these fictitious characters in this, these games, like the strength of their writing and just the, the amount of kind of crazy hijinks and scenarios that you get into, like building your ragtag team of space 
explorers and scientists and bounty hunters and soldiers like you just you get this team together and it's an experience again that i've never really been able to duplicate in gaming like how much i actually wanted to just learn about these characters and yeah i still think about you know there's a there's a, a dlc that they re- released for the third mass effect that was kind of like a like it was like a house party basically it was kind of like a a last you know before this suicidal mission against like world ending odds you know you could bring your team together and have kind of just one last party and there's just so much personality to these characters that you're like dang like you know we did it guys like we saved the galaxy and (laughs) just it's you know, again, it's one of those things that it makes games worth playing to me is to get to experience another world and another life that I never will. Um, and so that's why Mass Effect 2 um, being one of the best, or in my opinion, the best of the series, that's why it takes my number two slot. So what it sounds like to me is that your number one game on this list of all time is going to be Tamagotchi. <laughs> you got it in one, man. There's nothing I like more than a bunch of pixels shitting on the floor. <laughs> like... <laughs> well, you're immersing yourself in a world. You're raising animals. You get to care about pixel. Mm. I listened. Yep. No, I see where it. this is going. Yeah. I was so attached to my Tamagotchi. Actually, no, I could never keep a Tamagotchi alive for more than like two days. So so clearly there's a limit to my uh, capacity for compassion for <laughs> non-existent things. But, um, but yeah. So before we all get to number one, it's very anticlimactic because we all know what it's going to be. <laughs> Including our listeners, probably. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure we've said it like three times already. Uh, uh, get it? the three (laughs) before he says it though i think we should recap the top 10 (laughs) a nice nice summary but Um, first a commercial break (laughs) (laughs) and now we're gonna be sponsors wow we're anyways so uh, let's go (laughs) let's go around the room just real quick and just discuss surprises is anyone surprised that a certain game or curious as to why certain games are not on his top ten. No, I mean, I feel like I've had multiple conversations with Tyler, and I knew that what the top two would be, and that there would be a couple of Zelda games. And I just was more surprised that I have played none of the ten games on this <laughs> list. <laughs> yeah, like I said, yeah. The more I think about it, the more I was like, yeah, it's, it's really it's pretty different than a lot of other games well, that we've I'm, discussed. I'm today. honestly surprised. In in your current life, you know, um, we've only known each other since, you know, a little bit of college. Um, mm-hmm. So we've known, what, four, five, well, I guess it's six years at this point. Yeah. Um, but the games that I've ever heard you play, watched you play, um, you know, are the... Mortal Kombat type, um, you know, dueling games. Um, I've seen you play, um, you know, you play a lot of MOBAs, you know, you and James would play a lot of Dota 2, 
you played some Smite. I don't know if you ever really played League. Um, yeah. You know, uh, Diablo seems like a game that you'd be into. I don't know if you ever told me that you played that mm-hmm. before, but yeah, there are these them. other game genres that you didn't even touch. Right. That surprised me a fair amount that none of them made your top 10. I, and I think we'll probably get into that a little bit when I describe what it is that makes the number one game my number one. Like I said, yes, it's kind of because it's such a complete package. But I think what you'll find is that there's basically one kind of common thread that winds through most of these that have caused them to be some of my top games. Um, and it's kind of like you said, like there's a lot of games that I play and some of them I even play more than I have ever played any of these. And I guess the best answer I can give you is just that for me, playtime is not an accurate metric of how much a game has impacted me. Um, because there are certain games that, you know, you could just play them forever. Uh, games like Smite and Rocket League and Diablo, like they're games that like, yeah, the core gameplay loop is really satisfying and addictive and you can just sit there and do one more match, one more match. Like it's kind of like playing a sport um, almost. And so, yeah, I'll play a lot of those games, but the games that are on this list have gone beyond that to the point where they have quite literally affected the way that I look at the world. Like they are art to me and they have shaped the way that I view people and the way that I make decisions. And they're just very important and personal to me. Um, In addition to just being, I think, good examples of good game design. Um, So yeah, it really is that element of, of impact, I guess, on me as a person that has elevated these games to where they are on my list. That cuts me deep, Tyler. <laughs> cuts well, me deep. <laughs> and, but that's not, but I mean, again, it's like, you know, a game that's like the design Spike. of like games like MOBAs. Yeah. They don't like cause you that like internal monologue or like, but, yeah. but you're becoming closer to me should mean something. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, it certainly can. I mean, it certainly does. No, I mean, I'm just being, but, I'm um, being egotistical. <laughs> but that's the thing is like, for me, obviously smite, like I'll look back at it. When, again, that's another one. I'll be 80 years old and be like, Oh, remember when Brandon and I used to play smite, you know, it's just kind of like, but it's just trying to inflate my ego to make me feel better. And it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon, <laughs> We can do your top ten next. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Anna Kendrick. Um, <laughs> wow. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> wow. Anyway, number one. <laughs> number one. Uh, so yeah, number one. Yes, <laughs> is The Witcher Three. <laughs> we already know. Finish your drink. We don't care. Good night. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Uh, well, Brandon, uh, because I'm sure that our listeners will be up in arms if they don't hear about just how great The Witcher 3 is again. Um, mm, yeah, no. Yeah, no. Everybody drinking at home, uh, finish your drink. 
And go get another one and finish that one too. Yeah, yeah. Go get, go get this one too, because you're you're gonna need it before this is all said and done. But no, it's. Uh, I mean, for me, The Witcher, it's just it was no contest. Like even if I'd struggled with placement of any of the other games on this list, like The Witcher Three was. Again, I played The Witcher One. Like I said, it was one of two games that I first played on the first PC uh, gaming rig that I built. And it's kind of just like as janky and awkward as admittedly parts of the original Witcher 1 game were. There's just no denying that CD Projekt Red is like a standout amongst the entire industry for its sheer commitment to excellence in nearly every facet of their game design. Like, like their games, especially Witcher 2 and 3, like they feel big budget without resorting to like kind of less than savory uh, like corporate practices or like diluting the game's vision and personality. Um, And you're just, you're left with these games that have like all the heart and passion of indie projects with none of the limitations that typically come with that in terms of technology or scope. So it's like, you've got these games where it's just like the art is just, it immediately conjures up, like images and elements of kind of like um, Germanic and pull. I mean, like the Polish author of the original Witcher books, like they've just put so much like almost like folklore and again, that heart and narrative and storytelling, like they've just weaved that into all three games in the story um, in a way that is just like, again, like the music and all of that, just it, it gives you a glimpse of another like almost country or world or universe that all of this, this um, that all of this comes from basically. Um, And I mean, just, and, and then specifically with Witcher three, by that point, like everything was just so on point, like from the music to the voice acting, the graphics to the sheer size and scope of that game world. Um, and just like the number of quests that they had, um, the combat mechanics were, were great for an RPG. Like a lot of people, you know, you could, if you, if, if you have a complaint with the Witcher series, it almost universally comes back to the combat being, you know, it's nothing amazing, but it's so much better than most other like role-playing games, like in terms of being immediate and getting your adrenaline going, um, just looking cool while you do it, like casting the signs, um, brewing potions, like, and the great thing is because it's a pretty deep and complex RPG, you actually need to use a lot of those mechanics. It rewards you for playing intelligently and, and reading like the bestiary entries to like learn what stuff is weak to. Um, but if, if I really had to pick one standout thing about the Witcher three, um, it's going to be that writing. Uh, like The Witcher 3 is exciting, sexy, funny, heartbreaking, and heartwarming. <laughs> and like all throughout it, just like it, like the writing oozes a style that's totally its own. Like, and that's the thing is like, this has even been like translated. Like, that's the part that blows my mind is English is not these guys' native language. And like, I mean, I get it, they're a big company, but it's still, it's just amazing. Like, the voice actors that they've gotten to bring these characters to life and to do justice to that that quality writing where i really do you know it's almost as good as reading a book like they just 
everyone has so much personality and humor and oh, it's amazing um and to you date brandon that's sexy <laughs> <laughs> and, and to date the witcher 3 i wasn't gonna touch that one i decided that that was not something i was gonna do any say anything about <laughs> but that's what i mean like most hey, like hey brandon there's nudity in the witcher 3 nice <laughs> but that, that's what i mean like most games most games would not even touch with a 10-foot pole the idea of trying to represent a, a relationship between characters like and not that the you know the witcher one and two like they didn't really you know they're not great examples of uh, like the witcher one you know Geralt's running around just like sleeping with everybody that he sees and you know classic fantasy tropes and all that but like but by the time you get around to game two classic, and three, yep, classic. <laughs> by the time you get around to two and three you've got well-written characters that you're actually at least for me anyway i was invested in their relationships like i wanted Geralt to get the girl in the end and like it was just and you know to me it was as good or better than well i was always (laughs) i was always in camp tris but that's because i want Geralt to grow old and die happy in his bed (laughs) you know maybe and that's not i know that's not even in keeping with the author's original vision for Geralt as as he appears in the books where don't get me wrong i love yen too but that's what i mean okay like case in point like this was very much (laughs) a good example where like i found myself being like oh shit like i almost feel the tension between Geralt and yen and all the history that they have and yet me as a person like i like tris better and like i want Geralt to end up with tris and this it's again it's testament to their writing that they so realistically captured how like awkward that dynamic would be in real life to be like oh holy shit i'm kind of falling out of love with this person with whom i raised a daughter and yet i can see how good and healthy the relationship is between Geralt and tris and as me if i were Geralt, that is the person that i would want to end up with and so it's just that's what i mean like and that's just one example of a way that CD Projekt Red has approached, I feel like, adult relationships and interpersonal conflicts and morality. Like, they don't ever, you know, there's no good and evil. There's only you and the choices that you make. And you have to justify to yourself if what you did in the end was right or not. And it just, it gives you this whole crazy fantasy world to play around with those concepts and be like, oh shit like is it worth ruining this like these villagers lives to upset a tradition that is like born on out of falsehoods like you know they're being misled by these evil spirits but it's like you know it's helping them in their day-to-day lives like which is the greater evil for me to expose that and destroy their lives and free them from a lie or to let the lie continue you know it's a lot of things like that and again, it goes back to that writing being strong enough to make you actually kind of think about the way you approach things in real life. Um, so, yeah. And, and as I was going to say, Witcher 1 to date is the only game that has ever actually made me shed a tear. So for that alone, it, uh, it gets its spot on the number one. I've shed plenty of tears with Destiny and Smite. <laughs> 
Those are salty tears. Right. Anger and like let me put it this way, Witcher I it sounds silly, but literally The Witcher 3 is the game that has kind of convinced me that if I ever have children I I want to adopt rather than have my own kids, which that like that's that's at a point where a game which is just, you know, writing from a bunch of other human beings is so impactful that it, it makes me want to make a life decision like that. Like, that's pretty cool in my mind. So. so it's just because you want to turn them into a warlock. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, I just want the benefits of having an all-powerful uh, anime protagonist for a daughter that can travel through time and, um, you know, upset uh, the balance of the world. Yep. That's it. You got it. Is that on the application form when you adopt? Yeah. <laughs> Does she possess adopt ancient... boy girl chosen one? <laughs> ancient elf and bloodline uh, <laughs> fulfills the prophecy of destiny. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I love a good prophecy. Well said, sir. All right. Any comments on his list? He's talked a lot. Take a breather, Tyler. Any comments? <laughs> I have a comment. On his I have list? a comment. What is your comment? Make sure to fill us out as beneficiaries on your life insurance policy, because as someone who is adopting a chosen one, you're gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much required. <laughs> it's a price I pay, pay gladly. <laughs> <laughs> uh jared hit us with the socials facebook small constellation twitter at small con pod that's it excellent well this has been triple t tyler's terrible 10 <laughs> um harsh <laughs> he's still mad that smite wasn't included <laughs> and uh I just remember kids um, drink hydrated stay water <laughs> <laughs> thanks Alexa <laughs> <laughs>